Again, welcome in worship. We're in week two of a brand new sermon series. We're going through different sections in scripture, different parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we are discovering very short but very powerful prayers that we can pray. If you missed last week, we explore what it means for us to in practice pray a very powerful prayer of God search me, God search us as a church, and God search our society in ways that lead to transformation at the individual all the way out through the societal level. So excited as we dive into week two of this sermon series. But before we get so uh, into the passage of John 3:16 and 17, famous passage of scripture, a lot of you know this. Maybe if you're new, you don't know this. I grew up playing soccer. In fact, I was a goalkeeper. And from the youngest age, it was my job to basically save shots that would uh, come in from the opposing team. Sometimes my own team would, uh, it would deflect off them and I would have to save a shot that would come even from my own team. But my goal was to save shots. Now, I, I, I did pretty good growing up. I played uh, pretty high level in high school, traveled throughout the state, even out of state, even went on a two-week tour to Belgium, Germany, and Holland. Uh, played a little bit in college, and it just kind of ended there. But for the most part, I saved a lot of shots. But I got to tell you, I didn't save all the shots that I wanted to save. In fact, I had this desire to save every single shot that came at me. I don't think there was ever a shot that came at me that I ever, you know, just kind of let go by. Try my hardest, and yet I, in my limitations, weren't able to completely save all those shots. You know, at the same time, there was a T-shirt, uh, maybe dating myself, 90s, glorious 90s, the craziest shirts that uh, were made, perhaps. And I saw it on somebody else, and I never could figure out. This is kind of like pre-internet days, pre-being able to really search for things. And so I never found it in a store. But it had, you know, on this just white T-shirt, it had a, a cartoon character of, of Jesus wearing goalkeeper gloves, you know, in his full robe, the beard, the hair, you know, the character of what we think Jesus looked like. And, uh, you know, he was wearing sandals, not cleats. And he was diving like a goalkeeper, full hands out. And there was a soccer ball that he just got his fingertips on. Looked like it was about to deflect outside the goal. And there was two words above uh, the character. And it said, Jesus saves! <laughs> I loved it. And it's so corny, but maybe it was just the goalkeeper starting to go to church, young Drew, and I just, I, I loved it. Well, in many ways, it's an entryway into what I believe is the most powerful prayer that we can ever pray. Uh, after we say God search and God test and God see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting, that leads us to really the way to do that, the way towards life everlasting, the way to wholeness, the way to healing, the way to really what we were designed to live, not just in our own lives, not just as a community of faith, but ultimately to society. And it's the prayer, Jesus, save me. But like we did last week, we're not going to end there. We're going to push that out into Jesus, save our family of faith, our community of faith, Bel Air Church, this church family, God, Jesus, save us. But then at the farthest level out, Jesus, save society. Jesus, save the broader city community. Jesus, save the world. 
And as we look at John 3, 16 through 17, we're going to see that the word save from a biblical point of view means a lot more than just somebody saving soccer shots. It means so much more than just the forgiveness of sins. We'll get to that in a moment, but let me read John 3, 16 and 17. Famous passage. Go to any sporting event, a little less these days. We see fans, they're not allowed in many stadiums, uh, but often this is the most frequently listed verse on a big poster. Perhaps one of the most famous of all. And you'll hear the word save at the end. John writes this through the power of the Spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him and Jesus may not perish but may have eternal life. Verse 17, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word, and as we say every week, thanks be to God. Okay, the, the Greek word for save, actually, I learned this from Pastor Mike Morgan. I don't think I was paying attention at that point, perhaps, in Greek class and seminary. I forgot about this, missed this, perhaps. And Pastor Mike Morgan is so passionate about this. In fact, he's actually teaching on campus this Sunday evening on this passage during our 6 p.m. service. And he's going to unpack in a greater way what this could look like for us to experience this in our everyday life, but also for us to put this into practice as disciples of Jesus. Now, the Greek word sozo, that's the word I learned from Pastor Mike. It's the word we translate into save. In fact, it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It's the word that's used there in John 3, 17. God didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world would be sozoed through Jesus. It actually means a lot more than perhaps you think it does. In fact, it means a lot more even than what I'm going to share today, but I'm going to share four things, four meanings of that word sozo, so that as we pray, Jesus, save me and us as a church and a society, the depth of that prayer, our vision for what Jesus can do through that prayer would be greatly expanded. And we're going to see that at a minimum, these four things that Jesus sozos, he, he forgives Second, he heals. Third, he makes whole. And fourth, he preserves from harm. Those four are just a little bit of the fullness of this fantastic, glorious word, sozo, that is, again, used over 100 times in the New Testament. So what we'll do is we'll unpack what each of those uh, meanings are in Scripture, so we continue to dive into this, but then we'll start. What does it look like to pray that Jesus save me, forgive me, uh, heal me, to make me whole, to preserve me from harm, but then to move out and to pray, Jesus, would you, would you save us as a church family? In other words, would you forgive us as a church? Would you heal us as a church? Would you make us whole as a church? Would you preserve us as a church from harm? But you would push that even further out into society. Jesus, save the world. We would pray that prayer. Jesus, would you forgive society? 
Would you heal society? Would you make society whole? And would you, in the final way, would you preserve society from harm? So let's, let's rewind back and let's take a look at these four things. Perhaps, of course, the most famous of all, what often people think is the, the fullness of what we mean by save, the work of Jesus, and it's the forgiveness of sins. In fact, Matthew 1.21 is just one of those. I think there's like 38 verses where sozo is used in relation to forgiveness of sin. This is just one of them. This is Matthew 1.21. This is a prophecy about the mother of Jesus saying about her, she will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will forgive people from their sins. Now let's rewind a little bit to understand what is is sin and why do people need to be saved from it? Without spending an hour on the theology of sin in the fullness of scripture, we get this picture that ultimately God designed humanity in perfect loving relationship with God, with themselves, with each other, with creation, all was right in the world. Uh, There was not even the presence of sin. And because there wasn't the presence of sin, uh, there was no power to sin because it wasn't even present. And therefore, because there was no power to sin, uh, there was no penalty to sin. Again, because it didn't have power because it wasn't even present. Uh, to, to define sin as this, one way is, is uh, behavior, is a thought, is, is a way of life that aims for something other than God wants you to aim for. And so something happened in the first relationships where those first humans chose their way rather than God's way. They sinned. They missed the mark. They aimed for the wrong thing. They trusted what they believed to be right rather than God's words. And things began to unravel. And immediately, the presence of sin flooded into their life. And the power of sin flooded into their life. They were filled with shame They hid from God, they hid from each other, they hid from themselves. And there was then a penalty for that sin. In fact, God said, now because you are living in this broken state, in a broken relationship with God, yourself and each other and and all of creation, there is now a consequence and you can't stay in this broken state forever because there was the tree, the second name tree. Remember the tree of the, not the knowledge of good and evil, That was the forbidden tree that they ate from that caused the sin, its presence, its power, and then the penalty. There was a second name tree, and it was the tree of life, which gave those first humans eternal life. And so God was in this place. Do I allow them to live forever broken, forever distorted, forever removed from God, forever in this place where there's sorrow and heartache and shame. And Jesus was mentioned for the first time in Genesis 3. Of all places, the third chapter of the Bible, there's this prophecy of one who would come, who would make things right. And so those first humans are sent out. And the great irony is that uh, human-made religion, 
even throughout the Old Testament, in many ways, when they departed from God's best for them, when they got into, uh, you know, dealing with sin through their own devices, often it would follow the same pattern of which sin came into the world. They would try to remove the presence of sin so that it wouldn't have power over them. So ultimately they wouldn't be penalized. But the great truth of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus comes and he saves you and me. He sozos you and me. He forgives our sins and he reverses the order of how religion deals with sin. Reverses the order of how sin came into this world. And first, Jesus deals with the penalty of sin. You know, I, I, I've shared this in the past. Uh, there's passages that talk about salvation in the past tense. You have been saved. Uh, there's passages that talk about salvation in the present tense. You are being saved. And there's also passages that talk about uh, salvation in the future tense. You will be saved. And I never really could piece this together, even though I had been going through seminary. And there was this phenomenal leader of the church that I came from. She was in her 70s, uh, Edie. And she just, she had this amazing way to communicate the truth of Scripture. We were talking about this. And I'm like, Wait, why, does, why does it say in the past tense, in the present tense, in the future tense? I, I just don't understand this forgiveness. I thought, what? and she's, oh, Drew, yeah. She says, you've heard about the Ark of Salvation. I'm like, the what? And we sat down and she pulls out a napkin. And maybe some of you are taking notes. You can, you can create this illustration uh, with me. Maybe you've got a napkin, a piece of paper. Maybe you've got a, a tablet that you can digitally draw on. And I'm, I remember, I can, like it was yesterday. It's been like 15 years. And she draws this arc. And on the left side of that arc, she puts a cross. And she says, yeah, Drew, there's a lot of passages that talk about salvation in the past tense for believers, people who have been saved already. And she says, Drew, for example, uh, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, something happens. In that moment, Jesus saves you from the penalty of sin. Forever. God looks at you in Christ and says, you're not guilty. You've been set free from the penalty of all the sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit, once saved, always saved, from the penalty of sin. She says the fancy theological word is you've been justified. In fact, Romans 5.1 says it this way, you have been justified by faith. It's a legal term. You can't be tried for the same crime twice and you've already been tried. And through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God looks at your record as being cast aside and Jesus' record of perfectness given to you, his righteousness given to you. And he says, you're set free. You've been justified in faith. You have been saved. It's done. Forever set free. But what about all the passages? I remember her telling me this. What about all the passages where, for example, the Apostle Paul says, oh, this is the end of Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. It's like there's this war in me. And then he says, who will save me? 
Who will sozo me from this body of death? Present tense. Wait a second, Paul. I thought you already have been saved. Yes, from the penalty of sin. But the reality is, is that the penalty has been washed away, forever washed away, forever wiped away. But there is this present tense reality that sin still has power over us. And the fancy theological word is sanctification. Through obedience to Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through putting into practice the way of Jesus, this is a part that we get to play in concert with, in communion with, in relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. We continually are being set free from the power of sin in our life. Of course, the penalty being wiped away in the past ensures that our future is secure. But the present tense reality We can get still stuck up in the the same addictions, the same problems, the same things that we keep getting wrapped up into if we allow that power to just have power over us, to continue to try to do things on our own, to think that, oh, I can beat this addiction. I can beat this problem. I can, can, you know, I, I can on my own not be prideful. I can on my own not be selfish. I can on my own have humility. Sin continues to have a power over us in the present, even though we've been set free in the past from the penalty of sin. There is this present tense. Paul says it another way, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't mean have insecurity if you've been set free from the penalty of sin. No, 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 no. He's saying work out your salvation right now because Jesus wants to save you right now from the power of sin in your life. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, You can pray right now, God, from last week, God, search me. God, test me. See if there's any wicked way in me that has power over my life. Jesus, even you, you set me free from the power of that and lead me in the way everlasting. So in that arc, you know, on the left, it was you've been justified, set free from the penalty of sin. Kind of this whole work underneath the arch. Uh, She wrote... uh, sanctification. We are being set free from the power of sin. And at the end of that arc, she wrote 1 Corinthians 15. She says, Drew, you know, there's this future reality that one day you will be saved. Future tense. You will be saved from the presence of sin. It's not even going to be there. It's not even going to be a temptation. There's not going to be any power. It's going to be gone in the new heavens, in the new earth, in God's presence. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says that we will, in the twinkling of an eye, the body of mortality will be traded, will be exchanged with a body of immortality. That this perishable life will be transformed into an imperishable one. And the fancy theological word she says is, glorification. Our bodies will be glorified in the presence of our Lord, fully human, fully physical, fully spiritual as well. So again, this arc of salvation gives us a grander picture of what it means for Jesus to save, Jesus to sozo, just in that one area of forgiveness of sins. It's 
the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. But there's so much more to the work of Jesus' saving nature. In fact, it's not just the forgiveness of sins. Sozo also means healing. Listen to this passage in Scripture. In fact, it's in Mark 5, 34. Perhaps some of you have your Bibles open. would love for you to turn there. I'd like to read this, and I want to pinpoint where that word sozo is used. Mark 5, this beautiful picture and a very powerful gospel account, begins in verse uh, 21. So when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he, Jesus, verse 24, went with him. And if you go down to verse 35, we'll come back to what I skipped in a bit. But if you go down to verse 35, it says this, while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher, Jesus, any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was only 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. This dramatic story is evidence of the saving power of Jesus, not just being over the forgiveness of sins, but one of a healing power. We see it when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We see that often forgiveness of sins and healing are connected together. In fact, it says when they lowered the paralytic, this is in the gospel according to Luke, through the roof before Jesus' feet, he does two things at the same time. He forgives his sins and he says to this paralytic man that has lived on a mat, Take up your mat and walk to demonstrate that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He demonstrates that his saving power is also to heal. So when you pray, Jesus, save me, it's not just save me from the penalty of my sin and the power of sin and uh, the future presence of sin. It's not just forgive my sin, it's Jesus, heal me. Heal me physically, emotionally, relationally, psychologically, 
financially, spiritually, all the ways that I don't even know I need healing. Jesus, would you heal me? No wonder Jesus is called the great physician. Even Jesus says, uh, a doctor doesn't go to those who are already well. He goes to the sick. I am sick. You are sick. And it takes a lot of humility just to even acknowledge that. So to pray, Jesus, save me is one in which we're sometimes in ICU, in the ER, hurt on the side of the road, on the operating table. Jesus, would you heal in a way that only you can? Sadly, we, we run to many other things to heal us. You know, a very shallow view of Jesus saving us is just, oh, oh, he's forgiven me of my sins and I've got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. And I, you know, I got a, I got a, you know, uh, get out of jail free card. Okay, okay. I, I know where I'm going to be in my future. And we miss out on the depth of Jesus's sozoing of us, Jesus's saving power in our life. And we run to all these other things to, to heal us. You know, retail therapy, we run to experiences, we run to relationships, we run to our own good deeds or our good works, or we think that, oh, if I just, if I, you know, if I, if I'm just a better person, I'll make up for all the things that have brought me harm in the past. I, I, I can make myself a, a new woman, a new man. No, Jesus alone can heal you. Pray that prayer today. Jesus, save me. Jesus, Heal me. But it doesn't just mean forgive. It doesn't just mean heal. It also means to make whole. Now, I skipped over a section here in Mark. Absolutely remarkable. It says this. Remember, Jairus came and said, my daughter is dying. And there's an event that disrupts, that seems to get in the way of Jesus' uh, trajectory towards that daughter. This is what happens. Verse 25, a, a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. This is on the way to that daughter that he just was about to heal. Now, verse 25, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She'd endured much under many physicians. She'd tried to get healed in a lot of other different ways. I think we should all say that's also us in our own ways might not be a physical healing we need, but whatever it might be, we run to other physicians. That's what she had done. She'd run to other physicians and had spent all that she had had. She gave her life saving. She gave her energy towards being healed by other things and still she was not healed. And she was no better, but rather she grew worse. I want you to not catch or not miss this principle here that when we run to other physicians, run to other things to heal us, we actually not only don't get better, we get worse. Listen to this. She had heard about Jesus. Perhaps some of you have heard about Jesus and you're joining for the first time today. And they came up, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes. What would cause her? after spending all that she had for 12 years on all the different ways to get healed, to think that all she has to do is just touch the clothes of Jesus. What had she heard about Jesus? Whatever it was. 
it was enough for her to have that level of faith. But listen to what she says. If I but touch his clothes, I will be sozoed, saved. In the English translation, the NRSV, it says, I will be made well. Some translations say made whole. Verse 29, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, Jesus, you see the crowd is pressing in on you. How can, how can we know who touched you? They've all, everybody's been touching you. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has sozoed you. It's made you well, made you whole. Now go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, the saving work of Jesus isn't just to forgive. It's not just to heal, but it's to make whole and to make well. There is this present reality that is just a shadow of the full future reality that will be when we are in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. All of our scars, not just physical, but emotional, relational, all of our scars will be gone. And as it's often been said, the only scars that will exist in heaven are the scars on Jesus. In that moment, in that interaction, power leaves Jesus so that she would be made whole, made complete. That in the power transfer from Jesus to her, something would happen where he would decrease and she would increase into the, the woman that God longed for her to be. And then it's just a shadow, a type of what we can experience in the fullness, again, in the new heavens and the new earth. And what a picture of the type of love that Jesus has for us. That by choice, Jesus goes to the cross. He is broken on the cross. He is stripped naked on the cross. His power is removed from him seemingly on the cross so that you, so that I would be made whole. So this prayer on a personal level, Jesus, save me, is to say, Jesus, make me whole. May I be complete, Jesus, in you. You know, the Jerry Maguire moment kind of messed things up for a lot of people in relationships. You know that famous phrase, not the show me the money, not that part, but you know the you complete me? That prayer should only be prayed to God. And when we settle for lesser things, we think that it can be another person. No matter how great they are, no matter how wonderful they are, no matter how much of a gift from God they are, there's no one in your life. There's no thing in your life. There's no experience in your life. There's no, there's no product that you can buy. There's nothing that you could ever do to make you whole. So not try, stop, stop trying to make them be what only Jesus can do and be in your life.
Pray, Jesus, save me. Make me whole. But fourth, it's not just forgive. It's not just heal. It's not just make whole. It's, it's preserve me from harm. Sozo, save, is such a, a vast word. The work of Christ, salvific work, is so massive. It also means to preserve from harm. Listen to this passage. In fact, it's in Matthew 16.25. Jesus says this, For those who want to sozo their life, we often know it as for those who want to save their life, will actually lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And what Jesus means in that moment is for those who want to preserve their life from harm, for those that want to protect their security, protect their peace, protect their joy, uh, uh, protect their sense of self-worth through their own ways, whether by avoiding conflict or by charging out in the world and just decimating everybody else so that nobody else can challenge them, or maybe it's just through buying a lot of things, or it's surrounding yourself that only with people who just, uh, just say positive things to you, whatever it might be, there are ways in which we try to preserve our life from harm. And Jesus says, if you do it in your own strength, not only will it get worse for you, you're going to lose your life. The life that God defines for you the life that Jesus died for you to have. And he goes on to say, and those who lose their life for my sake will actually find it. It's the great upside down kingdom of God in letting go and saying, okay, Jesus, I give my life to you. I give my dreams to you. I give my security and my protection and all the ways that I think that I can preserve myself from harm. I give that to you because you're the rightful person to do that in my life. You are my great shepherd. You are my shield. You are my protector. You are my defender. When you pray that, Jesus, save me, protect me from harm. It actually emboldens you. It enables you to move out in the world with humility and confidence in a way where people, their words, can't dissuade you from being a representative for Christ, that circumstances in your life can't dissuade you from continuing to step out in faith and trust that God is going to work all things together for good because he's called you according to his purposes, Romans 8, that you actually have this ability to be completely shielded unlike any other way as you go out into the world. You see, Jesus wants to save you in each of these four ways. My prayer is that you would begin to practice that on a personal level. That maybe daily you would say, Jesus, uh, save me. And maybe for some of you are like, I haven't prayed that in a long time because I thought I was already saved. Yes, you have been saved from the penalty of sin, but you can wake up every day and throughout the day say, Jesus, in this moment, save me from the power of temptation and sin in my life. You can do that right now. You can pray for healing right now in all the areas of your life that God knows of. You can pray for being made whole in every area of your life. You can be prayed to be preserved from harm in every area of your life. You see, Jesus save is a, is a very frequent prayer when you begin to understand the depth of that prayer. But again, as we are doing in this series, we're not just starting with us and ending there. We're going to start with us and move out 
to how this prayer could be applied at the church level and at the societal level. So without having to recount all that I've already said, imagine if you were to take those four meanings of sozo, forgiveness, healing, being made whole and preserved from harm, and you apply that to this church family. And what if you were to pray, not just for yourself, but you would pray for this church family. Jesus, save us. Forgive us of our sins. Now, he's already saved us from the penalty of sin. But what matters is the power of sin in our church's life. And there are strongholds. Maybe you've heard that language before. There are things that when left uh, unchecked, uh, things that maybe are in our blind spot as a community, uh, when those things just stay there, they become more and more powerful and God's enemy begins to just kind of feed off of that. And those strongholds can actually prevent God from doing what God wants to do through our entire community of faith. God wants to save us through the power of Jesus from the strongholds that exist within our community. I've talked to some of you about that. There's some of us who have been praying about that. There are some who have been praying about strongholds within this church body for decades. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, that we can pray. Jesus, save us from the power of sin. Humble us. Give us your perspective. Help us to collectively repent from the ways in which we have either turned a blind eye to or perpetrated or, or added to these things that, that really just get in the way of you moving freely through our family of faith. Now, I also have to quickly say that there are some who say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. It is not your job to ask for forgiveness for me. Now, I want to be crystal clear here. There is an aspect that is only between you and the Lord. And that is your personal relationship with God. And I can never uh, uh, forgive on your behalf that which you have to do with Jesus Christ. It, it's you that have to confess with your lips. And it's you that have to believe in your heart that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. It's you that have to initiate a response to Jesus' offer to save you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the future presence of sin. But at the same time, there's many passages that talk about we are a community of faith, we are a body, and it is absolutely imperative if we're to be obedient to God's word that we should ask God to forgive us collectively as a body from how sin has become embedded in our church family. How else can we do it? If we as individuals... Don't cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save us collectively from the power of sin in our community's life. How else will it happen? There's great power that comes, not just when we pray at the individual level, but when we pray at the church-wide level, Jesus, save us from the power of sin. But again, we know sozo means so much more than forgiveness. It also means to heal. Think about this. You can pray, Jesus, heal us as a church family. 
in the ways that we've gotten unhealthy, sick. Gosh, in the moment that this airs for the first time, we're still in the midst of COVID and there are relational dynamics that have gotten disturbed, disrupted. We need healing in so many ways. And you can pray right now, Jesus, heal us. But it's more than that. It's collectively, Jesus, make us whole. Make us one. Make us one body. Help us through the power of the Spirit to see that we are individual parts of a body, each with gifts that you've given us. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 12. And together, we are each indispensable to the whole to build up the body of Christ. So Jesus, make us whole. Do that work. But it's not just that. It's also preserve us from harm. As a family of faith, I love that Jesus says that even the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. Jesus always will preserve. Jesus will always protect, not just us individually, but us collectively. You can't shut the spiritual doors of the body of Christ. It can never be done. And would you pray, Jesus, preserve us from harm in this season? But again, it's not just at the individual level, at the church-wide level. It's also at the societal level. Let me just leave you with this. When you begin to catch God's heart for the world, again, going back to John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved, not just me. It doesn't say for God so loved just the church. It says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that in him the world, that all people would have eternal life. For the Father didn't come to to condemn the world, but to, through Christ, save the world. It says elsewhere in Scripture, it's God's desire that none should perish. Come back with me to Drew Sam's as a kid, as a goalkeeper. Remember I said I, I desired to save every shot, but I didn't. And the reason why I didn't save all the shots that I desired had everything to do with my ability. I wasn't that good to save every shot, even though I desired to save them all. That's what sets Jesus apart from not only me, but from every human being. Jesus doesn't have limits within Jesus' self. Even though Jesus desires to save all people, ultimately he doesn't. And that's not because Jesus is limited in his ability to save. But the actual reality of the world in which we live is that we have a God that loves us, that desires to save the whole world, and yet gives all of us free will. And there is a decision that is made for each individual person. Will you allow Jesus to save you? I can't save you. I can't make you be saved by Jesus. It goes back to Romans 10, 9 and 10. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it is God's desire 
to forgive the world through Christ. And it's up to us to share with the world. This is the free gift that God offers you. It's God's desire to heal the world through Christ. And it's our job as followers of Jesus to share with the world that God longs to do that. And we get to participate in healing at the societal level in Jesus' glorious name. In fact, it's God's desire that the world, society would be made whole through Jesus. And we get to declare as followers of Jesus Christ that that can happen in and only when people put their faith and trust in Jesus and begin to agree with God on how to be made whole. And then finally, it's God's desire to preserve from harm all people. God made every person in God's image. And he wants to do so through Christ. And it's our job as followers of Jesus Christ, as ambassadors for Christ, as witnesses to the truth, to move out of this world saved, in need of saving, present tense, with humility saying, hey, we, we don't, we're not perfect, but we follow the perfect one the saving one, the healing one, the making whole one, the preserving one. Would you follow that one with us? So let's be that type of a church that prays that powerful prayer. Jesus, save. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have done what no one else can do. A saving work that is in the past, is going on in the present, will stretch out into the future. So would we lean in in our imagination to the reality? It's not a fake thing, it's a true thing. To begin to plumb the depths of your saving work. Jesus, save us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.